If you've been going through perimenopause or menopause, you know the struggle to find comfort in your body is real. No matter what you try, no matter what you do, you're just feeling off. That's why I'm so excited that I found Hormone Harmony. It's not just a supplement for women going through perimenopause, menopause or postmenopause, it's become a phenomenon. Women cannot stop talking about it on social media and a bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making your life easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. And the best part, the biggest benefit, is feeling like yourself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews, and there are over 17,000 reviews for Hormone Harmony. So check with your doctor before beginning any other supplement or strategy to address your health care. And if you're curious and want to give it a try, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code GETNAKED at the checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code GETNAKED for 15% off today. Welcome to the Modern Intimacy Podcast, a show about mental health, sex, relationships, education and tips, and those private things we need to talk about more publicly without restrictions. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Balistrieri, a licensed psychologist, certified sex therapist, packed couples therapist, and sex addiction therapist. I know that mental health is directly tied to the quality of our relationships and our sex lives. I'm passionate in my desire to smash stigmas and shine a light on societal issues that may be negatively affecting our lives relationships, and sexuality. During this podcast, I will also give you practical answers and insights to questions you've been wondering about. We should all have fulfilled, happy lives, and we get there by erasing shame, consciously digging deeper, building healthy connections, and by getting curious together. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Modern Intimacy Podcast. I'm Dr. Kate Balistrieri. And today with me, I'm really excited. um, Kayla Tricasso, who is our office manager and intake specialist, is here. And Kayla's been working at Modern Intimacy for, well, since its inception. And I'm really excited to talk with Kayla, Kayla about our topic today because it's something she's written a lot about and something we talk a lot about with our team in terms of how we understand what's going on in the world. But we decided to talk about this subject because one of our listeners wrote in and asked us a question. And she said, I'm a 32-year-old woman and I'm on TikTok, but I don't understand what I'm seeing on TikTok about all the pick-me girls. Can you explain what is a pick-me girl and why this is something that anyone cares about? And I just really appreciate this question, first of all, because I think there's a lot of pressure that many women feel to understand everything there is to understand about misogyny and sexism and to know how to feel about it and know what to do about it. So Kayla, thank you for talking with me about this today. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to. This is one of my favorite topics to talk about. And we're filming this on International Women's Day. So it feels like the perfect topic and very, it's very topical. It is. It is. So let's get started by describing and defining first. What is a quote unquote pick me girl? 
Yeah. So the way that I've kind of come to understand what a pick me girl is, is she is someone who really is trying to kind of formulate her personality, her likes, her interests, her hobbies, her beliefs around what is appealing to men. And in doing this, she is kind of putting down other women and especially other women who kind of do things that are against what like the patriarchy kind of wants from women. So this can look like several different things, but some common examples are um, one I always heard growing up was, um, I just don't get along with girls. I don't get along with them. They're so catty. They're so, there's so much drama. I just, I'm chill. So I'm one, I'm with the guys. I'm one of them. Or it can be something like, oh, well, I don't wear revealing clothes because that's not fair to my man. I, and it's just a lot of like different messaging that is just really, in my opinion, just kind of rooted in misogyny and gender roles in these kind of like very restrictive ways that women have been taught to display themselves. And it is when the pick me girls are kind of aligning with this, they are choosing to, whether they know it or not, to kind of align themselves with men and their preferences versus letting women kind of make those choices for themselves, whether it's something that men like or not. Right, right. And when I think about this this label, the pick me girl and the role that it encompasses, it's really about women being conditioned to maintain gender roles and to find a, a approximation to a sense of power by being more like men and less like women or more liked or more valued by men than other women. And so unconsciously, this strategy is to be picked by men for whatever reason, so that there's some sort of guarantee of their worthiness or their power or their safety. Now, it's very rare that women are walking around consciously deciding that that's what they're trying to do, but it's a process that happens over time through conditioning around hearing messages that things that are coded as feminine are bad, right? Like I know for me growing up, I hated the color pink but I couldn't tell you why I just hated it because that was a girly color. And I didn't think of myself that way. I was definitely um, exhibiting a lot of those kinds of pick me behaviors. I wonder if you have any that you can remember. Yes, definitely. I mean, when I was really young, I think I, especially kind of growing up in the Midwest where there's like a lot of um, a lot of like very specific traditional gender roles. I remember having a lot of feelings about like women who were sexually liberated and women who kind of um, just expressed their sexuality in whatever way they thought was possible. There was some sort of messaging in me that told me that that was wrong, that she is going against something that she shouldn't be doing. And working at a sex therapy practice now is been one way that I've really started to like untangle all of those things from like my true authentic beliefs about women being able to do and express themselves however they want. Um, But that was a big one for me is like understanding that a woman being sexually expressive in whatever way that she's not doing anything wrong, but I was conditioned to see her as doing something wrong just because of, you know, the way we police women's sexuality, the way that we, that, the way that patriarchy polices women's sexuality and the way that it wants it to kind of be for men. So a woman taking that autonomy within herself to do that, that was a big no-no. And I really kind of like felt uncomfortable by that growing up. And that's been a big piece I've been working on ever since, like kind of unraveling that. 
I really appreciate you sharing that. And it's such a great example of how the kind of pick me behavior can show up in everyday um, experiences between women. There's so much covert aggression that women experience between themselves um, and, and, and really use to control other women, but really to advance their own narrative and their own status as a woman who's more pickable, more valued, more desired and more aligned with these very rigid and narrow gender roles. So uh, let's talk about kind of what are some of the other motivations that some women might have to gravitate toward what's identified as a pick me behavior. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of times we're looking at things that have been conditioned in us. And I think that doing the work to dismantle that can be really hard. And I think a lot of times defenses come up around that. It can be a a lot of times the messages that we are taught really shape our worldview. And it can be really scary to kind of confront that, oh, there might have been something that I was taught or messages that I learned that are not a part of like how I truly believe or like the belief system that I've come to find within myself. So I think a for like a lot of times when I see like on TikTok or on social media, there's a lot of pushback from like the women that are being called pick me girls um, because they don't think that they're doing anything wrong. And if I, if you're such a feminist, why are you trying to tell me that I can't have this belief or like align with men? And I always think that's really interesting because I, no one in my opinion is telling them that they can't. It's just, that there is this, there seems to be this want to tell other women what to do in a, in a way that is in alignment with patriarchy, and that's kind of where I think the problem is. And I think when people try to educate women that have pick me behaviors, defenses come up, and it becomes really hard to kind of get through because it's like a protective strategy. It feels really uh, jarring to be told that what you're believing in, like there's some things in that that are like really harmful and that have caused pain for a lot of people. Um, it can be really restrictive. So I think for a lot of people, it's just, it's really hard to confront these things and start doing the work to, to dismantle it. I think so too. And it, it's also really challenging when you start understanding uh, the way that patriarchy and misogyny shape just about everything that we think, say, and do in, in this country. Um, it's hard to start challenging that and to not get really angry. And when people don't know how to resolve that anger, sometimes avoiding the work is a way that they avoid getting stuck in the anger or in the grief or in the really difficult position of having to confront intergenerational patterns of this behavior um, because other family members might not be interested or willing to start to explore these things too. And what a lot of women face is criticism by other foot soldiers of the patriarchy to step in line and to not bring up these indelicate or uncomfortable topics, right? You know, the patriarchy is really, really um, layered. And the, the crap that women face when they start to explore that and challenge it is so strong that a lot of the times um, women will have a hard time taking the leap into a more liberated viewpoint because it would mean that they have to potentially risk losing some of the closeness and relationships that have served them well for other in other ways growing up. 
Um, I really like that you mentioned grief because I do think that there is a grieving process that is part of doing some work around um, kind of dismantling uh, sexism and misogyny. And then I think something along with that that can be really tricky is when you learn these things, there's this like kind of want to tell everyone about it and see if like you're, you know, have validation. And I can't speak for everyone else's experience, but I know when I first started to kind of um, like take women's studies classes and like dive in a little bit more to feminism, I was met with, you know, oh, this is, this is the left, like, oh, your liberal arts education. I can't believe you're paying to take women's studies classes. And it's really dismissed. And like, that also can feel like just really isolating because you are, there's something that you've learned about yourself that's really resonating, which can be very healing. But then when you have people telling you this thing is not a big deal, you're just being dramatic. It makes, it, it can be kind of gaslighting at times because you, you think you've like found this really crucial part of like your worldview. And then you've got people telling you, stop trying to like push, push things too far. Like just stop, stick with it stay in your lane basically. Right. Stay small. Don't question the system. Mm-hmm. Don't don't upend the apple cart because what happens when people do upend the apple cart is everyone else has to be confronted with the reality that they're choosing not to look at it. They're choosing not to know something. And that can create a lot of uh, friction mm-hmm. in relationships, unfortunately. But it is the work of doing this, this disentangling or the deconstruction. And when people do start to dive into the feminist readings or start to learn about oppression. Um, I find that they, in addition to all of the challenges that we've mentioned, they really do start to feel more empowered in many ways in, in their own skin. They notice the earlier inclinations that they would have had to make a snap judgment about another woman and they stop. And what I've heard from so many women, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is that once they start seeing this and changing their behavior, their relationships with women get so much stronger and so much more supportive. And they start to experience a kind of success in friendships and also in other areas of their lives, because they're living in a way that feels more congruent to who they are and to the experience of being a woman supporting other women. I I love that. And that's also something that I noticed too. I feel like there's like a sense of community. I think that it can be so special to like have other people in your life who really like understand something. Like I can talk to my partner about misogyny and kind of my experience with it and he can empathize with me, but there's parts of that experience he just is not going to understand as like a cisgender man. So having a community of women who just, you know, really get what you're what you've what you're going through, get where your frustrations are, can like feel that rage with you can be so empowering, especially because so much of women's socialization is like shrinking yourself, being small, like not not like asking for what you need, like stay over there and be quiet essentially. So it can be so empowering to like have a community where it's safe to do that, where it's safe to talk about these things and be angry and all of that. Mm-hmm. So in your experience, when women who may have been labeled pick me, um, start to gain awareness of some dissonance, right? Because that's usually where it starts. They they start hearing like, oh, wow, what does it pick me? Sometimes women wear that as a badge of honor, right? Because mm-hmm. 
maybe they like to be a bit oppositional or they really appreciate being so cemented in a gender role that it gives them a sense of safety or security. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I think they don't really know what it means, but I, you know, what I start to see when, when there's a shift is some dissonance, right? There's still a lot of uh, appreciation of how they've understood the world, but there's also a curiosity about something that feels like it doesn't fit. And I, I wonder when you were making that, that journey away from having a more patriarchal mindset, what were some of the things that you start, you started to notice changing first? Yeah, I, I started, curiosity is the perfect word. I started questioning things more. I started questioning why I reacted a certain way when a guy approached me and tried to like flirt with me. I tried to, I got more curious about like why I feel so unsafe in broad daylight, even though it's like walking alone, even though it's like, you know, I don't, that's not a, a situation where I'd potentially be in danger. Um, so I, I just got more curious about like my experiences, my feelings. And then I think that that kind of creates more context to like do further research. So if like, um, like sexual violence is something that you get curious about. There's so many amazing books out there that like really talk about like the psychological impact. And then that gets kind of um, tied into the systemic impact. And it all kind of feels interconnected once you start to like really look at this stuff. Um, so I think curiosity is like really like one of the major things. It's just like questioning the system, questioning why things are the way that they are. I don't think that the systems want us to do that. They want us to just stay complacent. They don't want us to ask too many questions. And I think it's powerful to be able to ask that those questions. It means we're waking up to things. It means we're becoming educated and, you know, capable of finding our own empowerment. Mm-hmm. I really love that. Yeah, you're so right. The systems are only as strong as the ignorance that protects them, right? And when we become aware of what is going on systemically, either positively or negatively, we can start to reinforce the positive aspects of the systems that are in place and challenge the negative aspects. But that's not how uh, oppression works, right? Oppression, again, depends on people not being educated. So I think it's a really beautiful act of rebellion. It's an act of activism and it's an act of um, self-care to begin a little exploration around what exactly is misogyny? How does it show up in everyday life? Because it's really subtle sometimes and it's hard to pick up on until you understand it in a deeper level. And when we're talking about the, the pick me behaviors, what that really is, is internalized misogyny. And mm-hmm. it's hard to separate um, those behaviors from an understanding of misogyny once you see it, mm-hmm. and much easier to separate yourself from those behaviors and start transitioning away um, into a role that feels more aligned and integrated. I'm glad that you brought up internalized misogyny because that's a very important part of this whole conversation is a lot of us have experienced misogyny from like men or patriarchy. um, But we also experience misogyny within ourselves too. That in that a lot of times is where the pick me behaviors are coming from. You likely have been taught that, you know, things that are traditionally feminine are maybe not as valid. You've maybe been told that, 
things that are traditionally feminine are not as important or as like respected as like men's hobbies and things that men like. So I think a lot too, um, when you are kind of doing work around misogyny is making sure that you're including some education about internalized misogyny, because that can be even more insidious because we kind of become more conscious of the, the ways that misogyny plays out. And then we maybe miss the ways that it's happening within us too, and the way that that might be spilling out to relationships. Right. And that's one of the greatest Trojan horses of misogyny, sexism, and the patriarchy is co-opting women in service of its maintenance, right? Because if women are saying these things, then it can't be misogyny, right? That's the idea that patriarchal thinkers might want to uphold. But internalized misogyny is the answer for that. And it and it is a lot more insidious because women and girls are conditioned to be a lot more covert in the way that they express aggression. And so it can take hold, the insults that they might wield back and forth or the judgments can take hold in their psyches in these really um, inextricable ways sometimes and shape the way they experience themselves as women and as beings, not just, um, oh, wow, Susie doesn't like my shirt today. (laughs) Right. It's, it's, and an important thing to look at those behaviors and, and get clear on how you're judging yourself and other women and whether or not that's something that really serves you or might it be a reinforcement strategy that was taught to you so you could feel better about yourself. Yeah, better in the sense that like I have more power or I'm higher up on the hierarchy, right, of patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that like confidence does play a part in this too. And like your sense of self, I think like if you are someone who has been kind of taught to couple worth with being a partner, being like wanted by someone, then yeah, that's going to be a huge motivating factor for wanting to shape your personality, the way that you're perceived around what will make you appealing to if you are heterosexual to male partners. And I think because we live in a very like monogamous centric and heteronormative um, kind of society, that is taught as something that is something you should be striving for. Like there is kind of this like, oh, when are you getting married? Do you have a boyfriend? Like there's been so many holidays where like first question is like, when are you getting married? What do you, where's your partner? Why have you not brought a partner? And it's like, there's so much um, value and like worthiness, like wrapped up in like, being chosen and being picked. And I, I think that's something worth exploring too, because what if you don't want to be picked? What if what if you just want to pick yourself? What if you just want to work on picking yourself? But you're going to come up likely against some pushback on that because we're just taught that like you should be wanting to find love and like settling down when there's people who don't even really want that. So true. So true. So how can we call in somebody who might be exhibiting pick me behavior instead of calling them out. And I ask that question because it's really easy to shame other people for exhibiting behavior that is maybe just a little less along in, in the path of evolution. And I see it all the time on social media, people shaming pick me. I'm sure I've done it too from time to time before I had a deeper understanding of why that was so damaging. Um, so let's let's think about how can we call people in when we see it, if that's even our job to do. Yeah, no, that's such a good question because 
we can, you know, talk about how, you know, pick me's like what that looks like, but then it's still the, you know, the problem still persists. So what I have, one of the big motivations for wanting to write this article was kind of answering that why. So like, what do we do with this information? And what I had been noticing on social media in like the discourse around this is that there was a lot of shaming and there's been a lot of research that like shame is not a helpful motivator. People don't respond to that because their defenses are going to come up. They're going to feel like they need to get into protective mode. So I think one of the ways that we can maybe have more productive conversations about this is to get more curious about each other's backgrounds, to maybe have a little bit more empathy for where somebody is in their process of just like understanding themselves in society. I think that when you start to do a lot of work around understanding systems of oppression, it can get really easy to kind of like get on a pedestal and be like, here's how things are. And I, you know, definitely probably been guilty of doing that too. But you, we have to, I think, remember that people are on different paths and different areas of like understanding these things. So I can't expect everyone to be on the same level as me, nor should anyone expect like anyone else to be on the same level as them. So I think having empathy for where people are in their process. And when I say empathy, I don't mean allowing like really toxic rhetoric to just fly. I more so mean like really understanding that a pick me girl is also a victim of patriarchy. She's also being impacted by this. And I don't mean that to be like infantilizing to be like, Oh, she doesn't know. But like, it it really is um, like a matter of they're still being impacted by patriarchy. So I think that if we can just, it's so easy to become reactionary, but if we can just like calm a little bit and take a few steps back and breathe, I think we can maybe have some like more productive conversations. And if someone is not willing to have productive conversations because it is the internet and things like that happen, there are some people who do not want to learn, then I think it's okay to just release yourself from that emotional labor and mental labor because not everyone is going to want to hear what you have to say. But I do think you will come across people who will at least listen and give you the chance. And then that's when those like really fruitful, really um, productive conversations can, can flow. Yeah. I like asking, I love that. And, and I like, I like asking questions like if the people's genders were different in this scenario, would you feel the same way? Mm-hmm. Um, if the roles were reversed, how would you feel about with what you're describing or what you're saying is um, not the way to be. And sometimes that's enough to just shoehorn in a little bit of dissonance, but sometimes it's not. Um, the other thing that I, I'd like to offer is an invitation to go read maybe four or five articles or books <clears throat> that talk specifically about misogyny or feminism so that the person who's sort of entrenched in this belief system has an opportunity to either sharpen their argument because they'll know what their opposition is saying. You know, if you go read four or five books on feminism and misogyny and you still feel the same way after it, great, then your belief system is solid and it's unwavering. And you can argue your points much more effectively. But if you take that challenge and you start to have some shifts then I think it, it gives people an accessible way to, um, to start questioning, you know, and, 
and to begin the process of grieving and liberating. What are some of your favorite books, Kayla, on this subject for people who want to do some exploration? Yeah, I one of the most enlightening books I've read around misogyny is one that we read for our book club, uh, which was Down Girl by Kate Mann. Um, that it's a very dense read, but it is packed with just everything you need to know about misogyny and like all of these different all these different ways that it is played out and the way that it kind of impacts so many domains of people's lives in, in ways that maybe people aren't aware of. So I would say that that's like a more dense, like philosophical based book. So it can be a little bit of a deep read. Um, I also really like the book. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the author, um, but maybe, you know, it men explain things to me. Have you read that one? Yes. Is that Jessica Valenti? That might be actually, I think you're right. I think it might be no. Jessica Valenti. Oh, no. no, it's it's Rebecca Solnit. It's Rebecca mm. Solnit. Yeah. Yeah, that's a I great think book. That, I think that book is perfect for like a starting point. That was actually one of the first books that I read when I first started kind of questioning um, misogyny and started exploring feminism. And I thought that that was a really good entry point. I feel like it's very accessible language. It is kind of giving you examples of things you've probably noticed in your own life or the lives of people you know. Um, so recommend Men Explain, Explain Things to Me if you're kind of just starting this work. And then maybe Down Girl if you've like done a lot of reading and want to get into like more like deep philosophical content. Amazing. Those are some good ones. Um, I also really like the book Cunt, A Declaration mm -hmm. of Independence by Inga Muschio, uh, I think is how you say her last name. Um, it, I think it's a 20-year-old book. In fact, I think it's the 20-year anniversary of the book this year. And I read it 20 years ago uh, when it came out, and it was transformative for me and really talked about shifting uh, the, the meaning of the word cunt into something empowering. And in that, mm -hmm. shifting away from a lot of misogyny and internalized misogyny specifically and building strong community with other women through the reclamation of this word. Um, I also really love Bell Hook's book, All About Love. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, anything Bell Hooks wrote was brilliant, but that book in particular is kind of a jaw-dropping experience on almost every page and really helps people understand and reframe the quest for love and why patriarchy sometimes gets in the way of that. I don't want to say sometimes, often gets in the way of, you know, frequently feeling really connected to ourselves as individuals and to each other, regardless of gender. Definitely echo um, all about love. That is an I read that book last year. It's very, very good. It's probably one of the most emotionally impactful books that I've ever read. It is. It will really get you thinking and feeling. Um, so yeah, definitely echo that one's a great one too. Amazing. Um, well, folks, for anybody listening who wants to do a deeper dive into Kayla's blog, you can check it out on our Modern Intimacy website. Uh, just go to modernintimacy.com, check out our blog, and you can search for Pick Me, and it will come up. Kayla, are there any anything that we didn't talk about that you think is really important for us to get to? I think the final thing I want to mention is that this can be really difficult work to do, and there can be moments of like regression and like confusion. And I just want to invite people to be really gentle with themselves as they kind of like explore this part of themselves and explore the world in this way, because one, it's really emotionally taxing and it can be really 
really um, just challenging work to do. Um, and then also it's a lot of times ingrained for years, if not decades into someone's life before they start untangling these things. So it is a lot of times really deeply embedded. And I know for me, sometimes I get a little hard on myself if I find myself kind of regressing back to like a internalized misogyny moment. Um, but this is lifelong work. It is forever learning. And I just want to invite everyone else to just be gentle with yourself and just allow yourself to make mistakes and just learn as you go. That is so beautiful. And I will echo it. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us on this episode. We will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Modern Intimacy Podcast. On Instagram, follow me at Dr. Kate Balistrieri and at The Modern Intimacy. On TikTok, check me out at Dr. Kate Balistrieri and on Twitter at Kate Balistrieri. Everyone has questions about mental health, sex, and relationships. Send yours to me via DM on Instagram or email them to questions at modernintimacy.com and I'll answer some at the end of each episode. Visit the website modernintimacy.com to schedule a consultation with a member of our team or to sign up for our newsletter. Let's meet back here next week. New episodes air every Tuesday. Reminder, this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for mental health services.